Welcome to Trending in Education. Mike Palmer here. Really excited today to be joined by a fellow Gen Xer. Celine Coggins is joining us today. She is currently the executive director of Grant Makers for Education. Grant Makers for Education. She also was involved in teaching initiatives. She's got many hats she can wear. Today, hopefully, we'll dive into the generational zeitgeist part, which is something we like to talk about on this show. Before we get to any of that, Celine, welcome to Trending in Education. Thanks so much, Mike. I'm very excited to be here. Yeah, and this is a, a testament to the fast track to recording. I think I saw a post from you on LinkedIn maybe two days ago, and we are now recording an episode. So this could be you listeners, you know, <laughs> reach out. You'd be surprised how easy it is to do some of these things. We always begin by getting our guests' origin stories. What got you to this point in your professional life? You've really had an amazing run. I'm sure we'll get to some of it as part of the conversation, but can you quickly summarize for folks how you got to this point in your professional life? Sure, yes. So I'll say I'm one of eight kids. I'm the oldest in a big, big family, and that kind of community thing you'll see threaded through my career. When I left college, I started my career as a teacher middle school in Worcester, and from there went on to work for the State Commissioner of Education and Policy. Is that Worcester, Mass? Worcester, Worcester, Mass. Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah, I said that with a Long Island uh, by way of Brooklyn accent. So hopefully <laughs> folks know where we're talking. Well, that's yeah, uh, yeah. Yes. So I, so I was there. I did my PhD at Stanford came back and kind of recognized that there wasn't really a voice for younger teachers in policy and started an organization called Teach Plus to elevate that voice and promote teacher leadership. From there, I've done some teaching at Harvard at the Ed School and supported other entrepreneurs at the iLab there. Yeah. And then for the past four plus years, I've run Grantmakers for Education, but I'm leaving soon to start an, a new initiative called the Legacy Years Project, mm. really focused on building community connection and civic participation among Gen Xers who have not necessarily been super involved in leadership in those areas. Awesome. Yeah. And you're an interesting follow. I would recommend folks check out Celine's Twitter info, your medium, posting on the regular, getting your message out there. And it, it is amazing as, you know, a trend spotting show about education. You know, you're really got your PhD in educational policy. So like we could go, we could go deep. <laughs> Really? Perhaps on another conversation, but something that's been a topic multiple times on this show, you know, if you're a trend spotting show, particularly over years, you start to realize that how folks work and think about their lives change over time, different generations rise and descend in terms of their prominence. There's been a lot of talk about millennials, you know, the connection to education that I thought was interesting that you were putting out there was the student loan relief and that as a lesson for gen x which uh, we'll share that article i thought that was a really interesting read i think our listeners will enjoy that you're putting some interesting perspectives out there based on your experience and then you are very firmly identifying as generation x you know generation x arguably has a an identity problem an inferiority complex a jan brady problem you you, you <laughs> name it what's motivating you at this point to move in this direction yeah, so there's so much to it. And I'll say that article that I posted has about 1,300 comments. So I think there really is kind of a yearning. The question that I asked at the top of it is, could Gen X have a signature issue the way millennials have with student debt? They've had some success, 
And that's not an accident. So you see lots of organizations that elevate the voice of Gen Z and millennials. And that like, we don't have that. We have no community. We have no way to talk and make sense across our generation. So I threw something out there and I think lots of people were just like, I want to make sense of our generation. Right. I want to figure out what we should be doing. And of course, plenty of noise in there too. But yeah, so I came to this a whole bunch of different ways. Let me tell you a couple of stories. So first, my mom died when she was 44 and I was 18. I'm about to turn 49 myself. And so I'm always like, time's a wasting. Like yeah. we have time on this earth and I don't want to waste mine. That's the first. Second is I was doing some teaching at the Harvard Ed School and basically one of the things that we teach when we teach policy is about trade-offs and finance and those types of things. So I was having the students do an assignment. This was just before the pandemic happened. So like the beginning of March of 2020. Mm. And so I gave this assignment and they were working on it. And you basically had to figure out how to cut money from your budget. So these are the real costs of uh, losing a teacher. These are the real costs of closing a school. You make the choices. Yeah. And basically my students had a mutiny. They were like, why are you teaching? teaching us to not fight for more money for education. There's not enough money to mm -hmm. serve the kids in this district. Mm -hmm. You know, and my answer was basically, the government can't just print money. And two weeks later, the pandemic happens. The CARES Act is passed. Yeah. And they're like, See? the government can't print money when it wants to. Yeah. And so, you know, it did force me to think about what's our role in this, you know, in supporting the next generation. I have a daughter in college and two on the way. And yeah. you know, they're going to be the ones who turn to me pretty soon and say, like, your generation let us down. And mm. I don't want that to be the case. And also, I've been working at Grantmakers for Education, which I have loved. It's an amazing network of about 300 funders in the education space. And the focus really has shifted more than anything else to racial justice in education. And as a white leader, I think I've done a good job of trying to share the platform that I have. But at some point you say, maybe the right thing to do is to move on and leave that space for a leader of color to really articulate a vision for racial justice in education. Yeah. I'm excited about that next stage for the organization, but it puts squarely in this question of my own identity. And what am I proximate to? Yeah. And I feel like I'm proximate to two things. One is great leaders who are Gen Xers who have always been like super heads down and led in their own lane and not thought about connecting across. And then folks who are kind of like checked out and say, you know, I know I should be doing more and I see our democracy falling apart, but I don't really have an entry point to get more involved. And so I'm just going to turn my face the other way. Yeah. Truth be told, I know our listeners may not know my age, but I am squarely smack dab in the middle of Gen X. Yeah. We're an inclusive generation. We will try to represent all perspectives, but this is going to be kind of going deep for Gen X. That article that you referenced, it was so interesting because there are some real clear themes that come out of our generation, many of which I think are needed in the public conversation right now. So independence is the first one, which, you know, that's the whole idea of building community among Gen X is pretty countercultural, but I'm going to keep knocking away at it. Yeah. The other pieces that people like really identified as defining us, pragmatic, hardworking, live and let live, no drama. Like we need more of that in this, you know, in the public conversation, less at the polls, more in the middle, like of 1300 people, so many different people within the thread. So this is such a polite thread. People are disagreeing, but politely. And I was like, yeah, this is Gen Xers can do that. Yeah. It is funny. The whole trend around quiet quitting, quiet quitting, some yeah. Gen Xers have been quite quitting since the 90s. You know, like it's not really a new phenomenon. We were referencing uh, the Chuck Klosterman book, the yeah. 90s, 
which talks about the slacker sensibility and sort of rejecting the notion of selling out. Yeah. You wanted to keep it real, whether it was the bands you listened to or like how you lived your life. And that involved also questioning the establishment and in mm -hmm. some ways rejecting the materialism of the 80s and saying, you know, there's something else out there. But that was a long time ago. We've all had lives that we've lived over those years. And then you're right in that in some ways, the collective conversation is almost too narcissistic to a certain extent. And there is a certain humility to Gen X that yeah. I think can be refreshing to be brought into the conversation. What about the idea, though, that all oh, this is kind of a load of hooey and we as a generation were, I do remember being called Generation X back in the 90s and thinking, that's pretty stupid. And yeah. I was like, that's it's a lot more complex than that. And I kind of discounted it which is also being kind of prototypically Gen X at the time. But any thought about that, how much you identify as a generation, how much that is part of how you define yourself? I'd, I'd love to get some of your perspective. Yeah, I mean, so I think we desperately need a brand refresh. You probably know, like the X was a placeholder. It was not meant to stick. Yeah. Um, we were meant to define our own legacy. And, yeah. you know, we also, though, were like the, you know, wait your turn people. And so we waited our turn. Here it is now. We're all in our 40s and 50s. It's definitely our turn. And I think that we've got this, like these two tensions, right? So the defining characteristic of our generation is being independent, but the defining characteristic of midlife is kind of a search for connection and meaning. And so I hope the latter wins out. I'm on the side of building the community that has the latter win out because yeah. in my mind, our legacy is going to be collective. It's not going to be neutral. People aren't going to say they didn't really do anything. They're going to say, you know, it's either going to be positive or it's going to be negative. And I don't want, you know, the history books to be written about the 2020s and 2030s and say, these were the adults and we lost the democracy and the climate on, on our watch. Exactly. And to your, be done. <laughs> yeah, to your point, the signature issues may not be unique to our generation at this time anyway, but the collective action mm -hmm. and the mobilization of a generation that has been a little bit skeptical, keeping below the radar. But at the same time, when you think about leadership and management and, you know, rising through the ranks. You're someone who's worked a bunch on teachers becoming leaders. They already are leaders, but teachers yeah. developing their leadership skills. And you began as a teacher and mm -hmm. learned that there are ways that you can grow professionally. And I have found in, in my own experience that the 20 years of management experience that I had has equipped me to think about leadership and think about charting my path and bringing others along for the ride in ways that I certainly didn't understand when I was 30. It reminds me also of Eric Erickson and the different life stages and the, yeah. the crises we face because there is a counterpoint to having some kind of legacy is more like despair, frankly. Yeah. It's a scary yeah. counterproposal. So what are your thoughts about all that? Yeah, so I think you're exactly right. I want to hold on to my optimism. I want to join forces with, you know, my kids and other generations to do this kind of work. But I think, you know, there's a lot to be done. There are things that really matter for us specifically. So Social Security is supposed to run out just as you specifically. I'm three years younger than you become eligible, but I want my Social Security. I've paid into my whole life. Yeah. So there's that. I heard a lot of people in this long thread that I talk about job discrimination and those types of things. Jobs where you mandatorily have to, yeah, have to quit your job by 55 or 60. So yeah. 
things like that. But then there are, I feel like the ones that really connect to education are the ones about the future. So a few that like really strike a chord with me, social media regulation. Mm. So I have three daughters. They would all say that social media shouldn't be allowed for kids until they're 15. And they're like, you are insane that you parents just let us into this jungle of the social media environment. And Mm -hmm. I see their mental health challenges. That's a big one. School safety, ball day shooting was the thing that led me to quit my job and say, I need to get back to the advocacy and organizing world because these are things that like are happening on our watch as parents. I, Mm -hmm. the teacher during Columbine first job, then Sandy Cook, I was sending all three of my girls to elementary school. And then right after Uvalde, there was a bullet found in one of the schools in our district. So yeah. all the kids were against the wall in oh, their computer spaces. It's yeah. great. So we can be doing something about that. But then there are the big issues like climate and yeah. like saving the democracy. So there's plenty for us to do. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. The school safety is really interesting in terms of the drills, because I still remember the nuclear threat drills yeah. from my youth. Mm. Now that and that's even totally. and that's even coming back. So it was what was duck and cover. Now the nuclear risk is entering the equation, but beyond even that, the more local school shooting drills and compounded by the social media angle, just the psychological wellness of all of us, but in particular, the well-being of Gen Z. And for me, you know, as the parent, as a Gen X parent of a three-year-old, I've heard Matthew's generation be called Generation Alpha, which is also just terrible. We need to. I know. Yeah. All of these generations, Mm -hmm. none of them are particularly. Millennials got it. (laughs) My goodness. So I love Gen X. And I think one of the most fun things to talk about with Gen X is we did have a common culture. So, you know, so I remember in my seventh grade classroom, there was a picture of a nuclear bomb exploding Mm -hmm. that's underneath. A nuclear bomb could ruin your whole day. Like, (laughs) thanks. It's time for snack. Uh, Yes. But. But we didn't, and I bet this might be one for you too. Did you do anything that had to do with civic participation when you were growing up? No. Nothing. So the only thing that I did was Hands Across America. Mm. Hands Across America. Right. Uh, I was in seventh grade. Yeah. We met at the school. You had to like, they pushed the kids down, right. down, 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 down. And because I was one of the older kids in the school, I ended up standing on train tracks. So the whole time that I was doing oh, all I could think about was, am I going to get killed? <laughs> And, uh, and so I didn't know what it was for or didn't, did not like basically was not successful. Like now I have a daughter who as a freshman in high school applied for this civics fellowship and yeah. teach kids how to get involved. And she was supposed to, it was during the pandemic, she was supposed to go meet in Congress. And I was like, it's a very different world, but we never learned those skills. Right. And now we're kind of the leaders in this crisis moment in our democracy and in the climate. And we don't know how to do those things that our kids are being taught. We need to kind of join with them. Yeah. And it's interesting, you know, your connection to both social media and the political realm in the U.S. where, you know, a bunch of octogenarians, septuagenarians are generally holding the keys to the kingdom politically. <laughs> and then if you yep. think of media influence, in some ways, Gen X missed yeah. that opportunity, although there's certainly many examples. And that's why, you know, I, I still think as much as I love Strauss Howe and, and going, you know, nerding out on the regional <laughs> zeitgeist thing at the same time it is one frame and -hmm. it's one way to think of ourselves and one thing as a generation is i think we frequently don't exclusively identify as our generation millennials seem much more comfortable saying i'm a millennial and that actually meaning something yeah you're certainly not preaching to Mm -hmm. a choir you're preaching to skeptics 
And that critical yeah. thinking, that skepticism bordering on cynicism is both a strength, but it certainly could be a dangerous weakness. Yeah. One of the most interesting things that I'm going to do a little poll on my LinkedIn site, because the thing that was most interesting to me when I just got those 1300 comments, very often people say we're forgotten or invisible. So number one, let me just do some quick myth busting. We're 65 million strong, which is almost the size of California and Texas combined. Yeah. Larger population than the 25 smallest states. Very diverse, more diverse than people realize. And also in a lot of leadership positions. So we shouldn't be forgotten. So the question is, what makes us now? Like, do people want to be forgotten? You know, but then I'll say with 65 million people, to build a community, you build a coalition of the willing. I don't think that 65 billion Gen Xers are going to join the Legacy Years Project. Right. But I think if 65,000 did, we could be an incredibly powerful force and voice. And frankly, just build the types of connections that we all would like to have in the later stages of our lives. Yeah. Um, you know, I think that we've lost a lot of what churches and like civic organizations that used to exist in stronger ways, like the Rotary Club and the Kiwanis and the Lions and all, like they used to call you in. And also, and I think this is what Gen X needs, is you knew others around you were also kind of pitching in. And I think when it comes to like giving for those of us who have a little money to give, but not a lot, time, volunteerism for those of us who have a little time to give, but not a lot, there's no standard. And I don't want to be the staff, you know, this is quintessential Gen X. I don't want to be the staff who's doing all the work. But if I were part of a community and we decided together, like we were going to each try to volunteer an hour a week, I would be all in on that. I'm just less likely to say, let me do it because I'm trained to be a cynic the way the rest of Gen X is. Yeah. But I've always thought of it as a bit of a stealth generation, you know, and it reminds me a little bit of the, the silent generation. There are other generations over the years that maybe were smaller or for whatever reason were less activated. You know, in some ways, the benefits of the end of the Cold War, there were some nice aspects to mm -hmm. to coming of age in the 90s, just watching friends and uh, yeah. <laughs> doing all those things that happened. Although obviously watching friends cynically and watching Seinfeld <laughs> and doing all the other things. But uh, but then there also seems to be receptiveness to social causes and perhaps some affinity to Gen Z, because to your point, many Gen Xers are the parents of that yeah. generation. Where do you see your efforts and other efforts like it as a futurist kind of show? We like to understand potential scenarios. Can you give us some good, bad and weird scenarios for how Gen X might, might be activated in the coming yeah. years? You know, so first for me, being able to build a community. Maybe you have some summits here and there and just really get to know people who are also in that space of wanting to be more involved in civic life, caring about the future of the world and the planet, but wanting to do it with people like them who have their same sensibility, who are at a particular stage of life. I think this life cycle stuff really matters for us right now. Yeah. So certainly that like physical community gatherings. Yeah. Also, I would love to have some ways just to communicate online. I'm in this little fitness community on Facebook. Simplest thing in the whole entire world, but basically everyone picks their own goal, but you report out on how am I doing? And you don't even have to be all that specific. I need that for like giving. I need yeah. that for volunteerism. Mm -hmm. If I had something like that, like this kind of practical version of activism, I don't think the Gen Xers are going to start turning out and marching in the streets. But I do think that like if someone said to me, 
I'm trying to do a little bit more giving at this stage of my life. Would you, you want to be in my circle? We can keep it anonymous. Like, I don't need to know your salary and how much yeah. of your salary you're giving, but I need to know that you're trying to. Mm-hmm. I'm super down for that. Yeah. Yeah. And then it is interesting to think about the the sense of isolation and loneliness that really all generations are feeling these days, but specifically Gen X, who frequently are both dealing with their children at home and aging parents, depending on where they are in that. They're certainly caregivers. And then professionally, you know, as you become more and more senior as a leader, there is more professional pressures that folks are under. You know, where can folks find someone they can talk to, someone they can connect to? And then if that is changed, if that is transforming into some kind of social good, some kind of movement or activism, I could see how that could play forward. And then how about the unfavorable scenario? Frequently, it's good to scare people Uh as a motivator. So what happens if we aren't able to step up to the leadership challenge that is before our generation these days? Yeah, I think that there are some really practical consequences that will be negative for us. So I think of social security. One of the things communities like this do when I did it with teachers at Teach Plus and philanthropy at Grantmakers for Education is make sense of the world for a particular group of people. The only group that is trying to represent Gen X, which I would contest, is the AARP. And when, so the AARP, you know, the news about Social Security and when it becomes insolvent just came out and it was like the year 2033 or something. And the AARP headline was basically like, hooray! <laughs> and, but I want a separate little you know, yeah. kind of um, news source to say to Gen X, like the house is on fire. We, we right. could do something now. Right, right. And, and people will say, we'll probably get around to that when it actually hits. And you're like, that's too late. It's once it once it's gone. And once there's no trust fund anymore, there's no trust fund anymore. Right. So, so those types of things, I think, really matter. And frankly, I want to have good relationships with my kids. And I want them to say, I saw you trying to make the world a better place for me. And frankly, I think that's how I started making this leap from education to this kind of larger issue of civic participation. Mm -hmm. You know, while they were in school, they were my beacon on working on K-12 education issues. And as they've started to transition out, I've started to think about the larger world they're going to inhabit. And so, you know, it really does come from that place for me. Yeah. And then what about education? We are an education podcast. What about Gen X and education? You know, one of the themes that I love talking about, it's come up quite a bit, is lifelong learning, the skills revolution that's happening. Frequently from the perspective of uh, Gen X or myself, I I have to continue to upskill and I've built that into my way of working. But that's not necessarily true across our whole generation. Yeah. And then there's other dimensions. You know, you're an educational policy expert as well. What's in Gen X's best interest to be thinking about when it comes to education? I kind of grew up in education policy and education reform in a particular era. So it was really like the standards and accountability era. We really focused on what was happening in the actual classroom. So teachers, curriculum, tests. Um, you probably know from capital, like that there was a pretty small square and it was a classroom that we thought about education as that. I think for a lot of Gen Xers, and I don't want to overspeak for more than myself, but you know, 
we have transitioned. I think with the Every Student Succeeds Act at the end of 2015, we moved out of that no child left behind kind of testing and accountability era into a new era, which is less defined. Mm -hmm. And so we see in our funding world, people really looking to pre-K, to post-secondary, looking to the out-of-school supports, SEL, racial justice. And so for, I think many of us were like, wow, I spent 25 years basically on in the standards and accountability way, and now I'm, I'm shifting. I think those shifts are really good and necessary. I think the data is uncontrovertible that learning happens in relationship in a way that we weren't really talking about as much in that yeah. time. Yeah. But yeah, so I think a lot of us are having to then specifically kind of upskill into understanding the research that's come out in the past decade or so, but now figuring out what it means kind of in this moving out of the pandemic into a new world world. Yeah. And it is a time where I appreciate the cautionary note about AARP. I think it, it is a time to be careful, although they say you don't know ARP. So who, who knows? But I'll say more about that if you'll give me a space. To me, it's also avoiding some of the lazier tropes about being in your 50s, which I think reinforces negative ideas, ageism, things like that, that it is a time where I view it as very important for us to intentionally seek out new models, force ourselves to think flexibly. This is where we've talked on this show a lot about unlearning and how it's important to be prepared to be dissuaded of things you've believed your whole life. It almost feels like the types of challenges are almost wisdom level challenges. They're, mm. It's almost like the game kind of is leveling up in terms of what's expected of us. Any thoughts about the kinds of lessons we're struggling with or, or how to think about what we need to learn? I think that people, and again, I would say I've been, I'm way back when my undergrad was in psychology. I love like geeking out on psychology. Yeah. Reading. You referenced it earlier. I think that it's figuring out like, so I'm here for a purpose. And for those of us who've had some ability to be in circles where you really get to learn and see the world in ways that you feel like can be helpful to bring others along in making the world a better place. It's really saying, I want to spend my time on something that feels like it hits my purpose and where I really can take all of the skills that I've learned, challenge myself. I mean, so this, all that we're talking about with the legacy years, complete entrepreneurial venture, no money behind it. Like right now, I'm just at square one. But I really believe that there's a gap in the space. There's a community that needs to exist that is kind of underbuilt. And so I think that we have a unique ability at this stage of life to say, what are my skills? What am I passionate about? And how might I be able to use that to contribute in the world? But it's really hard to make that a go. (laughs) And so we'll see if I do or I don't. But I think that's the kind of what we're called to do. And like wisdom says, trust your intuition and do something that you feel like could be a purpose in the world. It's exciting. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. And it does remind me as someone who's gone through my own great reshuffle, great resignation, great refactoring. You know, a lot of the focus on that shift has been on the younger generations. And I don't I don't know about your peer group, but the folks at my age, many are going through similar shifts, that quiet quitting notion, which again, it's it's kind of being beaten to death and I'm not a huge fan of it, but it does feel like something where, you know, if you are in a more corporate setting, you're rising through the ranks, 
there's an element of, you know, towing a party line that leads to career growth and loyalty was a play in many Gen Xers playbooks. Myself and many others I know, you're an example of this as well, are now looking for that shift into something that is perhaps a little more values aligned, mission aligned, mm -hmm. legacy aligned. Yeah. We're getting closer to time. We clearly could keep going. There's lots to talk about here. We haven't even <laughs> got into the pop culture references and uh, the other new media opportunities to reach Gen X. But if you're talking to different folks across their lives, across the generations, you've had a wealth of experience and you're stepping up a bit as a leader in as a Gen Xer. Yeah. What advice would you have for folks? Where's your head at? I've been thinking a lot about this because I coach aspiring entrepreneurs at the Harvard iLab, but I'm now an aspiring entrepreneur again. And so I, I'm trying to think about like second time around. And my big piece of advice, again, countercultural and counterintuitive is don't follow your passion. So I spent 18 months just on the weekends, in the evenings, number one, like checking, do, am I really passionate about this or was this just a side thing? Number two, I like started like every day, I had a whole bunch of Google alerts related to this and I learned everything that I could find. I read a ton of books on this topic. I even knowing I was going back into like civic life, which is political life in some ways. And I did that at Teach Plus. I did a lot of yoga and it was like, I got to keep my heart open and, <laughs> and come, with, come with joy, not yeah. come with fight. And, you know, and so there were so many things that I did. I wrote a book just given this midlife crisis processing. Yeah. And, and so then I finally felt ready to put it out into the universe. But I think sometimes people are like, I was at my desk and was bored of my job. And so I read this interesting article and I want to go follow my passion. And I think a lot of what you see online, especially for people our age is like, just quit your job and follow your passion. Like I have three kids to put through college. So I had to really be very careful. My husband was my first gatekeeper on the leaving a really solid, good job. And so I would say that I would say before you follow your passion, take a year and really do a whole bunch of tests to figure it, like have lots of conversations. So that's what I'm going to tell my folks at the iLab. And that's what I tell, especially 50 something women, because it seems like everything online is just like, do whatever you want. And I would say, Sometimes it's not going to pay the bills. Yeah. <laughs> Just be careful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then how about anything new and emerging that's capturing your imagination these days? Anything new, exciting trends you're noticing? With open floor, but I'd yeah. love to hear anything new. You know, you seem like you have pretty interesting yeah. inputs. What's really interesting to me, so I, I worked in the teacher space for a really long time. So Teach Plus, we organized younger teachers outside their union. So there was interesting controversy there, but also help them become teacher leaders. Yeah. A lot of people used to come to me in 2008 and 2009 and say, could you get those great teachers? And is there a way that like they could record a class and teach it to other kids, like mm -hmm. maybe in a rural area? Mm -hmm. um, what's fascinating to me is there are really bad things happening right now in teaching. Teaching has only really suffered through the pandemic. It's become a less attractive job you know, for a child like my child who's in college, it's not attractive to think about going into an office five days a week when other professional jobs don't. Yeah. But there are some pretty interesting opportunities that those ideas that there was no possibility for in 2008 and 2009, we might be able to do some interesting things to staff schools that might be great, might allow for paraprofessionals to take on a more intensive relationship-based role with kids. So I think 
think we really are. The biggest challenge in education right now, I think, is the educator shortage. Yeah. But I think that's going to push us to modernize teaching in ways that might be good and might allow for those who don't have college degrees to have important roles that are not teaching roles. And I hate the places that are allowing folks like that to be in teaching roles. I think the standards need to remain high. But I love the idea of some teachers being, being able to expand their reach. Yeah, that's awesome. And it does, to me, it connects back to thinking about Gen Xers who might be questioning where they're going to get value and meaning. What can we give back based on what we've learned over the years and are there programs? So I could see some alignment of all the different things you have going on in your universe. Yeah. Celine Coggins, thank you so much for joining us on today's episode. Thanks so much, Mike. Have a great day. Awesome. And hopefully our listeners enjoyed this as much as I did. Even if you're not Gen X, hopefully you understand us a little better coming out of this conversation. If you are Gen X and you want to share what you think, let us know on Twitter, on LinkedIn. We'll be back again soon. This is Trending in Education.